that you will teach us and help us to understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to look at the topic approved and anointed. Approved and anointed. And uh, when I mean anointed, I don't mean um, something worried. I'm just talking about the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. The enhanced activity of the Holy Spirit in your life that comes because God approves your life. But I want to start with uh, an exhaustion, exhaustion, um, exhortation, sorry, exhortation that two of our youths brought to us on Wednesday because I was so touched by the appeal, the passionate appeal they made. And then because uh, one of them started to talk about this and then much, much later after other discussions, the second one brought us back to that scripture. So I felt that the Lord really was pointing us to the scripture. And that is our brother Obi Okani and then our brother Evangel Anyakora. They spoke to us on Wednesday during our Wednesday um, believers meeting so passionately appealing that we should go back and pray and seek God to give us a revelation of what is in Ephesians 3.16, which they too have been seeking and praying about. So Ephesians 3.16 says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And these young men were appealing to us and I felt that we should lend them a voice from this pulpit so that this appeal will go out to more people. So what this scripture is telling us is what this power of God does, what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God in us that lives in the inner man, in the hidden man, that he strengthens us in the inner man. And if we need to be strengthened, it is now, it is in this period. And that we may have a revelation of the indwelling Christ and believe and be assured of his presence in us, that the Holy Spirit will give us the revelation of his love in all its manifestation. All its manifestation will include that all the experience, all the free gifts of love that God gave us through Jesus Christ, the priceless, priceless gifts of God that God gave us in Christ Jesus, that will include eternal life, our redemption, forgiveness of our sins, and then the... the, the the, the blessings of God that came to us, Jesus became a cause for us. And all the wonderful, wonderful inheritance we have in Christ. And Peter supports this thing. Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 2-4, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord according as his divine power. I see what the power does again. What the Holy Spirit does again. That God, the divine power had given unto us all things, not going to give us, has given unto us. That's what these young people were appealing to us, that we should seek God to show us, to reveal to us his love in the gifts that he has given us. So in appreciating these gifts, we love God. We see God's love in those gifts that he has given us. So he has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, that through these gifts we have become partakers of divine nature by the fact that God gave us a new life, which is his life, and has created us new in his own true image and holiness. So we have become partakers of the nature of God, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through us. That's how we escaped this corruption because we are created new, the sinful nature was taken away. Now we have a new nature in Christ. You know, all this revelation should be able to reveal to us how much God loves us and how much God doesn't want us to be destroyed by the iniquity that is in the world. And look at this one in Jude chapter 1. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. He says, I'm writing to all who have been called by God the Father who loves you, who loves you and keeps you safe 
in the care of Jesus Christ. The love of God, not just that he saved us and he keeps us safe. Keeps us safe in the care of Jesus Christ. That tells you how precious you are to God, how important you are to God. So, to experience all this fullness of this new life that Christ died to give us is made possible by the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Then, when we talk about the love of God, that's one side of the coin. That's one side of the coin. This coin is complete when we talk about the fact that the love of God is supposed to make us love him back. That's the other side of the coin. So when we know that God loves us, the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. So we now begin to live a life of love that loves God and loves man. That's really the life that Jesus wants us to live. Now let's go to what we are talking about again today, the identity crisis in the body of Christ. There is serious identity crisis in the body of Christ. My mentor said something, and I believe that. He said, I'm thoroughly convinced that there's a serious identity crisis in the body of Christ. The understanding of the new man, the new creature, is very low. And in its infancy right now, I agree with him. That's absolutely true. And then I'll tell you why. Many Christians will say, I am saved, and Jesus died for my sins. And that's all they can say of their salvation. That's all. That's all. This reveals a great lack of knowledge of the finished work of Calvary. Compounding this problem is lack of interest to know because of many years of half-truth teaching based on code of conduct. Half-truth teaching based on code of conduct and laws and everything else except the work Jesus accomplished on the cross. For many years, many Christians grew up not hearing any teaching on the new creature at all. Generations of Christians. And yet Jesus said he came to give us new life. Jesus said, seek me not for the things that perish, but for the eternal life which I'm giving you. But many generations of Christians grew up not hearing one single teaching, one single teaching on the new life that Jesus said, I came that you will have. Not one. So what they had and what they were brought up on is code of conduct, character management. So the church has majored on code of conduct instead of on Christ. And now we have thousands who know little or nothing about the new life Jesus came to give us. So we have identity crisis. It's a major problem that hinders many Christians from reaching their full potential in Christ and maturing in the spirit life in Christ Jesus. Because we don't know that. We don't, we don't grow spiritually. We grow religiously, but not spiritually. We grow in zeal, but not, really, not spiritually. Our behavior derives mostly from how we perceive ourselves. As a man thinketh, so he is. We always say that what we believe is what we become. Not what someone else believes about us, but what we believe ourselves is what we become. Look at Romans 8 verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the flesh, they don't think spiritual thoughts at all. They don't think about things of the spirit at all. But those who live according to the spirit, they, they think about the things of the spirit. They think about the things of the spirit. They think about the spirit life, the new man that will become. For to be carnally minded is death, certainly true. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So, who are you in Christ? You are a child of God simply telling you that you are a spirit being with a new spirit life. So if you are spirit minded, you should be seeing yourself more from your spirit identity. You are a child of God simply means that you are a spirit being with a new spirit life. You cannot be a child of God if you are not born of the spirit of God. God is called the father of spirits. Let's see how the spirit of God identifies you and me. God is called the father of spirits. 
And who are those spirits? It's you and me. Hebrew 12, 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the spirit of, unto the father of spirits, unto the father of spirits, and live? God is called the father of spirits. That's Hebrew 12, 9. He's not the father of angels. He's the father of spirits, and we are the people who, who are his children. We're described as spirits. Hebrew 12, 23. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Now he's talking about the church to which you belong and to which I belong. Which are written in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Again, we're identified as spirits of just men. We are spirits born of the spirit of God. God is the father of spirits. So the spirit of God is not identifying us carnally. It's identifying us spiritually. To be carnal-minded is death. It doesn't work in the works of death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. John 3, 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. So it's not talking of that identity at all. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So if you're born of the spirit and you are a spirit, God says, you, I'm a father of spirits. That's who you are. You should be spiritually minded and think, think of yourself as a spirit born of the spirit. The spiritual nature has the righteous nature of God in it. The carnal nature has the sinful nature of, of man in it. So if you think spiritually, you behave spiritually. And that's why when we think carnally, we limit ourselves. Because in the carnal realm, there's limitation. But when we think spiritually, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can do all things. We can do all things. Then we recognize the power that worketh in us. And when we excel, and there's no excuse for failures. There's no excuse for, doing, for whatever is called character flaw. There's no excuse for that. Because you are identified as a spirit born of the spirit. And devils cannot frighten you anymore because you are a spirit. So this is who we are. Look at 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we, we are the sons of God. That's what we are now, not going to be. We are born of the Spirit. Now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Talk to me. The Spirit of God says you are like Jesus. You are like Jesus. When he appears, you see that you are like him. You've been created like him. Created to be like God. Created in true image and holiness. With the life of Christ. So you and me are like Jesus. The spirit of God is identifying you. And identifying me. You are not like your grandfather. You are like Jesus. You don't have the flaws of your grandfather. You don't have, they die at age, age 20. They die. It's not for you. You are identified as a spirit. A child of God. Born of the spirit. A different identity. Changes everything for you. You believe right, you believe right, you live right, you believe right, you walk right, you believe right, you enjoy right. He says, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that. That's what we know. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. When I see him as he is, I'm like him. I'm like him. It's no different. And the, the sooner you begin to see yourself like that, in strength and power and authority, the sooner, the better for you. But if you're looking at yourself in a kind of identity, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, you'll be so limited, you'll be ruled by sin anyway. Because that nature is sinful. So, why not also identify yourself the way the Holy Spirit identifies you? Look at the prayer of Paul. Paul is seriously spiritual-minded. He's seriously spiritual-minded. He knows from where his strength is coming. It's not from the world. It's not from the systems of this world. It's not from this fleshly kingdom. We, we don't get limited by them. We don't take their testimonies as our testimonies. You don't say who things are bad. Come on, man. You're not identified that way. You are not. To you, all things are possible. But things are always good. Always good. When we derive, when this identity crisis is, is, is dealing with Christians a lot. Seriously. 
what I said, the wrong teaching upon which generations of Christians were brought up is code of conduct focused. Character management focused. And that's all they talk about. Nobody talked about Jesus and focused the church on him. And the, church, the Bible said, looking unto Jesus, we didn't teach people that. So, so you are like Jesus. And then look at the prayer of Paul. Paul said in Hebrews 13, 20, Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you, equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, in you, through the power of Christ in you, not through your, oh, it's not through your fleshly identity. There is a new thing happening in you. You are a spirit, born of the spirit, derived from Jesus, connected to him, empowered by him. His life is flowing in you. This life, he said, this thing, this thing produces something amazing. He says, the power of, the, through the power of Jesus Christ, may every good thing that is pleasing so he says, let me read it again. In verse 21, may he equip you with all you need to, for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ. Not through the power of yourself. The power of Jesus Christ. Every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Now let me see. Let me show you again how you were described. How I was described. We were really described in terms of being Christ, having his life. So look at, it's amazing. Second Corinthians 2, 14. How the church can miss this is simply amazing. Second Corinthians 5, 2, 14. But thank God, he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. We are walking in Christ's triumphal procession all the time. We don't talk of failure. It's not part of our language. Doesn't we don't have it in a dictionary. We walk in Christ's triumphal procession all the time. Now he uses us, listen to this. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere. Why? Because we are like him. Because we, his life is flowing through us. So he uses us to reveal Jesus. So wherever we go and people see us, they see this, the Christ in us. He uses us to reveal Christ to people. We are more than churchgoers. We are more than bench warmers in the church. So he uses us to, 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 to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere. A sweet perfume. Brethren, look at that. The, the knowledge of Christ, a sweet perfume. Look at verse 15. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance. Man, our lives our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. God smells his son. Oh, Jesus. He smells. He smells Jesus rising from me and you. You are born a spirit. Born of the spirit. Forget about born of the flesh. He smells Jesus rising up from you. He sees his son in whom he swept pleased. He sees it rise up and God smells a good perfume. Smells Jesus all the time. A good perfume. He's not smelling your good works. He's smelling the life of, not your righteousness. The life, the, it comes up to him. God is excited. That's who you are. You carry this perfume in you. Everywhere you go, the Spirit of God sends it, sends it up. Shum, 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 shum. And God smells, whoa. <laughs> and God is excited and proves a signature. That's who you are. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. That's who you are. Don't you accept identity that is not from the Holy Spirit. That's satanic. It will reduce you. It will, it will put you in a place you don't want to be. It will make you ordinary. 
Why you should live in Christ's procession of victory, you live in shame of defeat. I'm talking, talking what's not in the Bible. Fragrance of Christ. But now look at what it says. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. But that's true. Even in church, it's perceived differently. Religious people don't want to talk about it. Verse 16. To those who are perishing with a dreadful smell of death and doom. Yeah. Think it, they, they bring laws and codes and things because this one to them is, doesn't give life. It doesn't work. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. Christ's fragrance comes. We're life. Peter talked about people being converted without word. Without word. No word spoken. There's this fragrance that they too perceive. They say, whoa, I want this thing. Without word. And brethren, God prefers that fragrance all the time. God prefers the spirit life to the carnal thing. Look at, look at 1 Peter 3, 2 to 4. Who's adorning? Let it not be let not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and the wearing of gold and all of putting on of apple. So God says, look, the, the bodily care is not important to me. The carnal things are not important to me. I'm a spirit. I'm a father of spirit. I deal with spirit things. He said, this, this, this fleshly body, I don't care how you adorn it and decorate it and do all these things, camera things we put up. God said, keep it aside. There is something, I have a fragrance, something I want to see. I want to see that life of my son. That's what I want to see. And he says to them, he says here, he says, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. I want to see that fragrance. It has to come up to me. The, 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 you can do your hair all you want, spend $300 doing it, God could careless. You can decorate your church all you want, make it look like a Hollywood one. It God could kill us. What God wants is the fragrance of His Son, Jesus Christ, the glory of heaven. God wants it. God wants it. the hidden man He created. He wants to. He wants to see His Son all the time. God says, "I want that hidden man of the heart." In that which is not corruptible. It's not corruptible. It's not corruptible. It's a spirit. It's not flesh. It's not corruptible. That which is not corruptible. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. God values this in over any other thing. And so we should give serious attention to developing spiritually because that's what God values. That's who you are. We develop carnally, we go to school, study. We're developing carnal stuff, which is okay. But how about developing maturing spiritually too? Which is God's goal for every Christian. To mature spiritually is God's goal for you and me. To, to, to grow in that identity and mature. We're born babies. Hebrew 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace. Your strength comes from God's grace. Not from rules about food. The church has been teaching people codes of conduct. Your strength doesn't come from do's and don'ts and codes of conduct. That's from ignorant people. Generations of Christians never were taught where their strength was coming from. Never were taught where their life was flowing from. Never were taught the fragrance they were carrying. Never were taught their real identity, their, their spirit being, and they stopped thinking carnally. Never. Oh, so be you holy and we bring in laws of Moses, bringing denominational laws. That our strength doesn't come from there. Because that's not Christ. Jesus is not those things. He said your strength comes from God's grace. Not from rules about food. Which don't help those who follow them. Doesn't help. 
It doesn't help those who follow them. Many people in the look, I, I, I ask myself, are we really Pentecostal church? I'm, I'm not kidding you. Have you, been, have you seen a Pentecostal church where the Holy Spirit is not manifested? Many churches are simply orthodox. Totally orthodox. Excluding this very work of the Spirit of God. In revealing Christ, being the main message of the church. The Paul said, you see what the power of Christ did in this message of the cross. How he brought changes in you. That's a Pentecostal church. Where the Holy Spirit is giving freedom to bring the message of Christ, the, the perfume of God, the strength of Israel. The life of the church. And the hope of the believer. Not the laws. This is not our hope. Your strength doesn't derive from them. And if it is grace, if my strength comes from the grace of God, they have to receive it purely by faith. You know, therefore, it is of faith. It might be by grace. The only way you receive spiritual things is by faith, like we said on Thursday, because they are not revealed to your senses. Your senses cannot perceive the new man, cannot perceive your new identity, so you don't listen to him. Your senses cannot, impossible. That's why when people focus on themselves, they live in sin. Because what they're using cannot perceive the new power of God working in them. They can't. Second Peter 1, 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Son, our Lord, as his divine power has given unto us. We read these things that pertain to life and godliness and all that by which we read all of this. So let's go on to focusing on self. Focusing on self instead of focusing on Christ is living in the flesh and depending on the flesh and living in unbelief, not in faith, and therefore cannot please God. Every Christian who focuses on self is not living in faith, period. Because what he's focusing on cannot perceive the spirit identity he is, cannot perceive the spirit of Christ in him, cannot perceive the strength of Christ in him, cannot perceive the blessings of God in him, he cannot perceive the new ability he has, cannot perceive the authority he has, cannot perceive his environment of glory where he lives, cannot perceive it. You depend on that. So you cannot relate with that. It can't work in your life. It's called unbelief. You don't believe the scriptures. You're depending on what has no ability to perceive it, to understand it, to believe it. Look at what message wrote in Romans 8.5. Those who think they can do it, there are these people who depend on, you know, the laws, think their strength comes from the law. They can do it on their own, end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscles. You know, they always judge people. They always find fault with people. That's more than they Pharisees. Always. They're all measuring their own moral muscles, but never get around to exercising it in real life because flesh will profit nothing. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them. Those who focus on Christ find that they see it because they are walking by faith. They know. That's why these children were pleading with us to pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal the indwelling Christ and the love of God for us. Those children, God bless them. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Fragrance coming. Living and breathing God. Obsession with self in this matters is dead end. Total dead end. Attention to God leads us into the open, into a special free life. Walking in freedom. It's when you walk in the truth of Jesus. Verse 7. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. They're not the same thing. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about himself than about Jesus. That person ignores who God is and what he's doing. And God isn't pleased at being ignored. 
So the question is, really focus on yourself, man. You need to read First Corinthians 4, 7 and answer this question. For who make it to, be dif- to differ from another? Is it yourself? If it's not yourself, why are you focusing on self? Why are you focusing on what cannot change you? doesn't make you to be different. Who make it thee to differ from another? And what has thou that thou didst not receive? And if thou didst receive it, why does thou glory? As if you have, you have not received it. You say, who changed your life? Who, made you, who makes you walk differently? Why are you focusing on what didn't change you? Why are you, why are you putting, looking up to you and then with your codes of conduct and what you can do and what you can do? Why not focus on the one that gave you new life and changed you? You say, what are you glorying in? And the devil uses that as a trap. Oh, brother, he uses it as a trap. To trap you in, in focusing on the natural things and never will you walk in victory. Because faith is your victory. He will mess your life big time. He will convince you that Christianity doesn't work. Because you are not seeing the victory. You are not. You are not seeing it. Because he focuses you on natural things, on yourself. And when you talk, you talk as if you are not born of the spirit. There's no testimony coming about who you are as a spirit. Who God made you to be. Matthew 16, 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. What is that trap? You are seeing things merely from human point of view, not from God. It's a dangerous trap. It's a dangerous trap. It's a serious dangerous trap that traps you in a perpetual life of weakness, perpetual life of finding reasons to fail, excusing yourself why you shouldn't live the life that God gave you. And then all this, your flesh is ruling you. Let me make a statement here. If you focus on your, if you focus on your flesh, you give him control over your life. Look at Hebrews 3.12. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Turning you away from the living God. It hinders the move of the Spirit of God in your life. That's what I'm talking about. Approved and anointed. Approved and anointed. When you live in the Spirit, you live in faith, you please God, and then the, the Spirit of God activity in your life increases. In fact, it works to your, to your life, in your life to the extent you cooperate with it. So you say, you, in verse 30, you must want each other every day, why it is today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin, hardening, by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. If we are faithful and continue to live in faith, so we must study to show ourselves approved. It's important that we do this. It is important that we do this. We must aim to purge ourselves of unbelief. And let me say this, we must purge ourselves from worthless talks. Worthless talks based on laws and all these do's and don'ts from strength does not come from them. From internet stuff, from TV stuff. Be careful who you listen to. Your life depends on it. Don't just listen to anybody who says I'm preaching. If somebody is not focusing you on Jesus, get out. Get out. Because the scripture says, look unto Jesus. It's from where your faith comes. It's the author of your faith. What else can you focus somebody on? What else did God give us? You focus him on. Except where God says focus. Second Timothy 2.15 Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. That's what those things do. You open the internet to watch just anything, it will increase ungodliness because they are coming from the flesh, the world. It's not coming from the spirit word of God. You're just wasting your time. Those are garbages. You implant impurities, you plant into your life, and they increase you in ungodliness. So the reason you study is to be approved of God. So you rightly divide the truth. You understand it correctly. Look at what, and then, 
That will make you embrace the new life completely. You need to. If you don't embrace the new life completely, you are saying to God, you are a liar. You are not believing the testimony of God about his son. And the Bible says, when you don't believe it, you call him a liar. You can't live a God that promises, that pleases God when you are constantly, by your work, by your faith, by what you believe, is, is calling God a liar. You can't please God. And the Holy Spirit is not going to work in your life maximum. You are quenching him. The anointing is only going to work on you. Because you believe wrongly. You are against God. So Paul says something, Philippians 3, 7. He said, I once thought these things were valuable. This law-based thing. But now I consider them worthless. That's what they are. Totally worthless. Why? Because of what Christ has done, verse 8. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else is worthless. Totally worthless. I don't want to hear it. I want to know Jesus. Point me to Jesus. Point me to Jesus. He's all I got. Everything else is worthless when compared with infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything. You should discard them. Junk. Discard them. Counting it all as garbage so that I could now gain Christ. It's only me and Jesus now. And become one with him. Why? When I see him, I be like him. I be like him. So I want to grow in my spirit life in developing myself every day to always, always be in unity with him. Paul is imploring us in Philippians 3.12. He says we should follow his footsteps. We should follow what he did. Now, let's look at approved and anointed. Now, if you, like I said, if you focus on the flesh, you give yourself you give the flesh control of your life. If you focus on Jesus, you give him control of your life. If you focus on the flesh and carnal things, you simply surrender yourself and empower them to rule you. Whatever you look at will, will influence your thinking. Will influence your thinking. And whatever influences your thinking will influence your, your decisions and your, your, what you do. And so, in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, if, if we want to walk really in the spirit, we need to keep away these things of the flesh. All this focusing on self must go away because that's not faith. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Sure, I don't want to be carnally minded, Paul said, because to be carnally minded is dead. Lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. Because to... To, to walk according to the natural thinking, we, 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 it says it, 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 makes you, it takes you away from God, puts you away from God. And so the Holy Spirit will not work very actively in your life unless you purge your heart of evil thoughts, evil words of unbelief that hinders him. Paul said, I keep under my body, my thinking, my carnal heart, my heart, my carnal heart. I don't let it control me. I don't let it control me. I don't yield my control to my, my carnal things. I yield control to spiritual things. That's why I said, let your, let your mind be on, on, on things on high where Christ is. So that he can control you. It's a simple thing. It's not a, it's not a muscle something. A muscle. No, no. It's, it's, a, it's control of your heart. Who controls it? What are you thinking about? Why are you focused? So when we do that, we begin to enjoy unhindered blessings of God. All the promises of God, they all begin to work in our lives. Now, let me correct something. The manifestations of the Holy Spirit in your life is not always church thing. We, we need to understand that. It's not always church thing, fellowship thing, no. Actually, the Holy Spirit manifests more in your life privately than in public. It does more privately than in public. And we must know this. So we begin to recognize when he's doing something in your bathroom, doing something in your kitchen, doing something at your job, at your job. Doing so. He does more with you privately than in public. Church setting is good. He does that, but people do not recognize that he works with them, even in private. In your prayer, he gives you 
tongues and interpretation. He gives you. May he walks in with. He walks because you are the apple of his eye. You are a place of his residence. You are a place of his activity. But you have to walk in, 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 in unity with him. Now, one of the things that the Holy Spirit will produce in you when you walk in the Spirit is joy. Joy. You know, we never even talked about joy. But joy is this, the joy of the Lord is our, our strength. It's our strength. It's our strength. It's your strength. And it's the joy of the Lord, not the joy that the Spirit of God produces in you. Even in the midst of challenges, he is producing this joy because you are constantly in agreement with him. Approved and anointed. He is working, giving you a joy that the world cannot take away. Jesus said, the joy I'm giving you, the world cannot take it away. He said, they can't take it away. They can't take it away. Look at John 16, 22. And you know, therefore, you now have, therefore, I have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man take it from you. Circumstances can't take it. He said, I'll see you again. He's, yeah, he's in us now. He's come back to us. He's giving us joy that no man can take it from you. You can lose your job and the joy is bubbling because you know in whom you believe. You know what it does. You know you open another door. You, you, you don't think failure. Romans 14, 17. After, after all, I'm reading Amplified. The kingdom of God is not a, it's not a matter of getting the food and drink, on, and drink one likes, but instead it is righteousness, that state which makes a person acceptable to God, and heart, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what the kingdom offers us. And then he who serves Christ in this way is acceptable and pleasing to God, and is approved, approved by men. Now, 2 Corinthians 8, 2. For in the midst of an ordeal of severe tribulation, their abundance of joy and their depth of poverty together have overflowed in wealth of lavish generosity on their part. Man, these people were, they were so poor, but they had joy. Jesus said, I'm coming to you and the joy I give you, the work can take it. Because it's your strength. That's the activity of the Holy Spirit. When we cooperate with him and, and begin to think spiritually, we see this joy bubbling. You don't make, you don't, you don't manufacture it. It's there. It's there, brethren. And nothing can take it away. The Lord says they can't, nobody can take it from you. These people were poor. But they were full of joy. They said they were giving the little left. They were giving the careless. And you know, when you are, when you are really, really believing and um, seriously spiritually minded, you walk in peace. I was talking with my brother yesterday. I was talking about, I said, I have this kind of peace. Yeah, that's true. That's what the Bible says. Nobody can rattle you. Nobody can, Paul said none of these things move me. You walk in peace. Why? Romans 8, 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Peace. They can't take it. It's there. It's the activity of the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, in your private life, which I need, which you need. I need joy, you need peace. Without peace, we can't even, believe, we can't walk in, with, in, in faith. We'll be confused. Isaiah 26, 3. That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. That's the activity of the Holy Spirit. Because he trusted in thee. Because he's walking in faith. He's in agreement with you. It's approved because without faith you can't please God, but you're walking in faith, you're pleasing God, approved and anointed. The activity of the Holy Spirit is, is give you great peace, perfect peace. In the midst of what, when people are in tumult, you are sleeping, perfect peace. It's not humanly produced. You can't pretend this, you can't act it out. It's the anointing of God on you. It's not only falling down. No, these are the activities of the Holy Spirit in your private life, for your private life, for your own private life, in your kitchen, in your car, in your job. They're giving bad news. There's this peace you have. Makes you know that's him. You lift up your hands and say, Lord, thank you for your peace. Thank you for your peace. It's amazing. The Spirit of God anointing me with peace. You 
oh yes, I'm telling you. If you don't have this peace, you are easily shifted to talk like the world. You get angry. You, you get emotional. You start talking, blah, 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 and the devil takes over your mouth. But if you have peace, you are, you are calm and collected. The Bible says in quietness and confidence is your strength. You can't have it without peace. But that's what the Spirit of God does in our lives, which we must all recognize. Now, let me tell you about prospering in the things you do. Prospering in the things you do. When you walk in the Spirit, you prosper in the affairs of life. You should be a millionaire, you may not be a millionaire, but you prosper in everything you do. He said, Second, third John 2, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thyself prospers. What prospers your soul? What prospers your soul is the word of God, is the truth of Christ that feeds your soul. That's, look at James 1.21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of nothingness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. You receive it with meekness, it saves your souls. It renews your mind. It prospers you. Second Chronicles 26.3 Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother was Jecoliah from Jerusalem. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. Just as his father Amaziah had done, Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah, who taught him to fear God. And as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him success, case closed. You don't seek guidance from the world and the wisdom of the world. You need to break. Paul said the cross separated me from the world. Separated me from the, from the world. I don't see myself from the flesh and cannot def- Paul said that cross separated me totally. I'm a different human being. I'm a, I'm a new creature. And so you, so your strength comes from the grace of God. Your guidance comes from the activity of the Holy Spirit in you. He's the light you have. He, he is your light. He, man, he's your everything. He knows everything. He knows where to put your hook. He said to Peter, put your destiny here. Peter said, I've been fishing said, Peter, I'm God. I'm God. You go who is here? Drop it here. And Peter dropped it and there was great success. Great success. Why? God wants every child of his to prosper. Psalm 55 verse 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad. Who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified. Who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants? Now, we are his children. The prosperity of his servants. The last thing I want to talk about is the intimacy you have with the Spirit of God is enhanced by your walking in faith. And by walking in faith, it's being submissive. It's being meek. A meek heart is a heart that easily agrees, doesn't argue with God. Brethren, let me tell you, if you want to walk intimately with Jesus, don't argue with him. He is Lord. Don't insult him. If he says move, move. If he says forgive, drop it, forgive, quickly. I've listened many men of God, people, women of God that have served God and have had great success, they have all had this saying this one thing. You must be instant in obeying his voice. Instant. Instant. Instant is key. It's called honor to him. By your action, you are saying you are Lord indeed. And look at Moses. Numbers 12, 3. Now the man Moses was very meek. To be meek is to be submissive. That's what meekness means. It's being easily submissive. Easily entreated. He didn't know too much persuasion. He said, the, the man, the was, Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they were, they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth. And he said, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you people, listen to how God describes how you relate with people. 
God is the same yesterday to them. It doesn't change. If there were a prophet among you, I, the Lord, just in case you don't know who is talking, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. That's all. My servant Moses is not so. He is faithful in all my house. I trust him. He's meek. Paul said, God entrusted me with the gospel. He said, he found me faithful. To hand it to me. I said, woe is me if I don't preach it. He gave it to me. And I'm, I, he said, he called me to defend this gospel. He said, I'm ready to die for it. I will die for it. Meekness. If he means that, so let it be. If it, you know, having this ego, ego trips and things, stops us from, you know, this clash of physical identity, spiritual identity brings clash with God. Because you see yourself, say, if I tell, if I, how can I do this? My, what would they say about me? No, no, no. You are taking your identity from the world. It will ruin you. It will ruin you. It will ruin you. Numbers 12, 8. With him will I speak mouth to mouth. Even apparently and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant? He said this one. I go deeper with him. Mouth to mouth. Face to face. Why? He honors me. I'm honoring him back. He walks he was saying yes, he says that. He says yes. But let's see. Romans 8, 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the laws of God. A carnal minded Christian cannot be meek. It's impossible. Can't be meek. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. It cannot be meek. Meekness flows from Christ. Submissiveness is what the Spirit of God produces in you. So when your strength comes from grace, when you see your identity in Christ, the spirit man you are, you see yourself as meek. Because that's who you are. You are like Christ. When he appears, you be like him. You have his life. You have his meekness. You have his humility. When you believe, you see. Believe, you see. You believe, you see. But now they bring you code of conduct. And you neglect the life of Christ. You are carnally minded. You're not going to produce that life of meekness. It's not going to happen. You will agree with God when it's convenient. And when it's not convenient. That's why a lot of people are not changing. You agree with God when it's convenient because you have ego, ego issue. You quarrel, fight, get angry easily, cheat, do a matter of things because it's about you. It's about you. So when we take spiritually approved and anointed, the spirit of God walks closely with you, manifests unhindered in your life, you become a vessel of honor for great work to the glory of God. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we want to thank you again for what you brought our way this morning. We trust you, Lord, to help us not to forget these words, but that there will be a fruit in our lives. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen.